Will. Yes. Do you ever <laughs> do you ever wonder before an episode, right, that this episode is going to be someone's first time hearing the podcast? I dread that. And if it doesn't hook them, they'll never listen to any of the other episodes and all that hard work that we put in. It'll it'll be all be for naught. So in a lot of ways, everything is riding on every episode for at least one person every time. Do you ever think about that? I, I never think about that because if I did, I'd never come on and start talking utter shies. Well, you should start thinking about it now, right? Because we really need to get our numbers up. The best bit. I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. You are stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where we pick our favorite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Will, a writer of three films plus a Christmas special, and I'm joined once again by my co-host and writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV, Kevin Lehan. Hello, Kevin. Okay, um, Will, just one second. Sorry, uh, I just needed to break the fourth wall. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there was this brief moment God. where I just went, oh, I'm going to have to do the whole thing again. <laughs> I'm going to have to do It's going to take me back to season one. We're going to have to do take yep. after take after take of the intro. Hey, listener. Yeah. A little insight behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, go on. Let's just break the fourth wall throughout this episode. Will. Kevin. This is a double topic episode because... We realized two things. One, I spun the wheel when it should have been you that spun the wheel on the episode with Jonas Govarts. Okay. So we bumped the topic to then. But also, when we were sort of thinking about it, we've covered an awful lot of these ideas, these movies with a movies ideas, when we did the live show. Mm-hmm. When we were doing cinemas on screen. Yeah. So, for good measure, we've thrown in an extra topic, which is what? Breaking the fourth wall, which I think... I'm glad you remembered because I forgot <laughs> and I don't have my notes. <laughs> but they overlap actually quite neatly and it's actually, it, 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 they fit into each other, which we shall get into. We do, because I've got a great pick that overlaps on both. Okay, so hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Kevin, cut. There are, now that we have two topics to get into, let's not faff about and waste time. Let's just get into this shit. Oh, okay. No, this. I'm being serious now. You are after dropping out. Can you just check your audio, Will? Because mine has... You've gone, your silence is gone. Or it's coming up silent for me. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'm just ah. joking. I'm freaking... <laughs> this is not breaking the fourth wall. This is practical jokes. That's Back what <laughs> I'm going to throw you off as much as I can and it's going to be an episode that's nothing but faff and waffle. I think we're better served if we discuss the first topic first, as in the first thing, movies within movies, because I think there's a lot more to chew on when we get to break. Okay, but didn't we, didn't we clarify that it's fake movies within movies? It's not like The Shining popping up in Twister yes. on the, the drive-in screen or it's not like 
the thing from another world showing up on Hall- in Halloween on the TV. It's actual pretend movies. Yes, because in movies. what can we say yeah. other than Hey, the the shinings on the big you know outdoor screen. I know that movie. Yeah, you know it's like okay, that's someone putting a nod. No, this is fake movies within movies where we either see a film being made or we're watching we're watching a fake film uh, within the actual film itself. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to focus on. And can I point out straight off the bat that one of the things I really dislike the pet peeve one of the pet peeves that I have is when you open a movie. And it is a sequence that is edited. It's got special effects. It's got the musical score. And then something goes wrong. And off screen, the director goes, cut. And they pull back and they reveal that it's all a set. And you just watch the opening to a movie. I hate that because it doesn't make any logical sense to me that I'd be watching something which is already completed. And then you reveal that they're actually making it uh, on the 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 moment. Are you telling me in the moment? Are you telling me that you hate the opening to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Kevin? Because that is one of the greatest. No, <laughs> and it's no, no, no. That's fine. I'm thinking more of the Judd Apatow movie, the off, uh, the bubble. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. But in contrast to that, I think that opening to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where we see the the animated, the incredibly well animated Dick Williams short film. Uh, you know, play out as if it's a real short film, like a Looney Tunes from the 1940s. And we hear the director shout cut and we pull back to see it's a set and the lady has got legs. And I know we've covered this in Best Animated Scene. We've covered it in the past, but that's a fantastic... We've covered an awful lot of these. Wait until you hear later on. There's so many of them that have come up in other episodes. That's a great one, though. It's excellent. Cut, 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 cut! What the hell was wrong with that take? Nothing with you, baby Herman. You were great. You were perfect. You were better than perfect. This Roger. He keeps blowing his lines. Roger. What's this? A tweeting bird. A tweeting bird. Roger, read this. Look what it says. It says, rabbit gets clunked. Rabbit sees stars. Not birds. Stars! Can we lose the playback, please? Roger, you're killing me. Killing me. For crying out loud, Roger. How the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene? No! I'll be in my trailer. Taking a nap. Excuse me, Dutch. I remember seeing that as a child in the cinema and I almost passed out from laughing so hard. The film had only just begun, but the the the, the, the incredible animation and the gags were just flying. I was just, I don't know, maybe it was the thrill of like being at the cinema, but I was in I was in stitches. So hopefully we're gonna we're going to discuss movies within movies that we actually liked, right? And that's the that's the the objective. Oh God, here. I need to do my list over. <laughs> I want to give you one that I watched this past week, a film that I thought I'd seen back in the nineties, nineteen ninety three, when it came out. I was sure I'd seen this film. Turned out, nineteen ninety three, oh. starring John Goodman, directed by Joe Dante. John Goodman. Oh, uh, matinee. Matinee. How could such a thing happen, Doctor Cabal? The ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain, just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Rentgens, was released. And that's how he became a... Mant. Gotcha! For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee. 
Lawrence Wolsey, the master of movie horror, exterminates you with Matt. The story of Matt is based on scientific fact, on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962, a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. The country is on red alert. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl to. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. You know, last guy she went out was in her farm school. He did teach me a lot. What about? About my body. I think if the bomb were about to fall, she'd do it with me. <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Hold on, hold on. I believe that that is Joe Dante's favorite film of his own. Really? It's have you? Yeah. It's a very sweet. Uh, lovely nostalgia. It feels like a matinee movie. It does. Remember I mentioned before that there were certain films, especially in the 90s, films like My Girl and Forever Young, they feel like matinee movies. You'd watch them on a Saturday afternoon, not yeah. a Friday night. And that captures that vibe. If matinee was on on a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> I would quite happily sit down and watch it for the two hours of its running time. I didn't, yeah. I, I honestly didn't, I, I always assumed I'd seen it, but it turns out I'd never seen it. And there's a film within the film. The The premise of this film is that John Goodman is this Huckstery type, like William Castle-like producer who makes these novelty horror films. And he basically takes them on tour around the country. And in the case of this film, he's got this film called Mant. <laughs> I'm Lawrence Woolsey. The feeling at this atomic test site is an anxious one. But then, you're about to see for yourselves what I mean. My terrifying new process, Atomovision, puts you, the audience, at ground zero. Not a safe place to be. But today, there is no safe place to be. Mant, M-A-N-T, half man, half ant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they shot about like 15, 15 minutes of this film that does look like a film from the 1950s. And it is so much fun. Whenever the film cuts to that actual Mant movie, it's done in a loving, pastiche sort of way that uh, you feel like you're watching that type of film, but it is actually so much crack and so much fun. Everyone's enjoying themselves. You're lucky to be alive, Bill. I wish I was dead. How could such a thing happen, Dr. Gravel? X-rays, Carol, a form of radiation. An ant must have bitten Bill when he was having his teeth x-rayed. I've been meaning to have the office fumigated, but I've just been too darn busy. Anyway, the ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain, just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Rentkins, was released. And that's how he became a... Mant. <laughs> There's one particularly funny moment in it when... Mant has turned into a proper giant ant and is destroying the city, destroying the town. And his his wife comes around the corner and sees this huge ant who's got who's got a, a truck in his jaws, swinging around the place, and she shouts at it. Bill, put that down. Bill, put that down. <laughs> I just love the performance. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. It's very, very funny. Um, I highly recommend Matinee. It's a lovely film. And I'd love to see the full version of Mant. That's it. That's it, isn't it? You've hit the nail on the head. When they really work, you want to see what the actual film is that they're making. When they don't work, you feel like 
it's low hanging fruit. And I don't know how it feels for you being a screenwriter and knowing what it takes to make a film, whether you have the same sort of ick that I get where it's like, that doesn't happen. It's not like that. That's horseshit. It feels like that the people that are making movies know that that's not how movies are made, mm-hmm. but they go for the cheap jokes. When it really works, it's when you want to see what the actual movie is that they're making. Yeah, that's that's it. You're 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 swept away in it. That's a good definition of it. Do you have anyone? Do you have any movie within a movie that c- demonstrates what you're describing there? That idea of a uh, film that you genuinely would like to watch. Oh, I'd love to watch the two movies that they do in Bowfinger. The, um, oh God, the karate purse one that they end the movie with. Right. Oh God, it looked like such a fucking blast. Yeah. And um, I'd, I'd sooner see that more than Chubby Rain. But again, we talked about Bowfinger on the live show, as well as Scream 2, mm. which I think is one of the absolute best when it comes to being quite meta and uh, commenting on how Hollywood will glamorize and satirize horror and, and real life violence with the opening to Scream 2. Yeah. Um, I have a few here that sort of overlap into uh, fourth wall breaking, but I don't want to. Yeah, we'll try. If we, I don't want to jump the gun. Yeah, if you can hold off the fourth wall breaking ones, because you use them when we discuss fourth wall. Um, okay. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even though there's loads. So any specific one? Is there a specific scene or a specific film? The the monologue when he gets all emotional. Oh, this is the TV show he's doing. Yes, oh, and I debated about mentioning that uh but if we are going to bring that up then i also want to mention galaxy quest Mm -hmm. because that film is perfect exiting time not now sir we are alive we made it commander we made it that grub thaws hammer we live to tell the tale. systems registered functional all systems are working, Commander. I don't like it. It was too easy. Wait! No. They're everywhere. There are time rats opening everywhere. Trap! We're surrounded, Commander. Oh. It's a cold meltdown, sir. It can't be stopped. Surrender may be our only option. No. Never give up. Never surrender. Activate the Omega-13. Well, You were talking about the, that scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> you do know kidnapping is a hanging. <laughs> so blowing the heads off little girls. <laughs> they can only hang me once, right? So... You come down here for a for a Boston social, or we gonna talk price. How much? I'd say fifty thousand dollars would buy me a whole lot of chicken mole in Mexico. It's a lot of money. Well, she's a lot of little girl. 
Or don't you agree? I agree. So what's next? Well, I'll send one of my boys out to your ranch to fill you in on all the details, but, uh... And one detail I'm gonna fill you in on right now is this. I don't want no Beaner Bronco Buster handing me that $50,000. I want the old man himself. Murdoch Lancer puts $50,000 in my lap or I'll eat this little pitcher down a well. You got that, Boston? Huh? Yeah. All right, messenger boy. Deliver my message. At the end of it, when he finishes it, he, uh, he's he got this little girl in his lap and he tosses her off his lap. And uh, when when the director coach shouts cut, he comes over and he's like, just... Wait, did you say he tosses himself off on her lap? He tosses the girl off of his lap. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the director comes over and is like singing his praises. And the little girl, he, says, he asks the little girl, are you okay? And she turns around and she comes up to him and she says... That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And what I love about his reaction, he takes it so (laughs) sincerely. It just means the absolute world to him. But you want to know something, Kevin? As a screenwriter who rarely hears any praise whatsoever, honest to Christ, the moment you've created something, the moment after you created something... All you want to hear is someone say, you did great, aren't you? And when this girl of nine praises him, he's, he fucking, he's, he's on cloud nine. He's on cloud nine. It's because all we have to sustain us are, um, is hope. And if people can feed the hope machine by telling us, good job, kid, it, it means that we can keep being creative. Yeah. And when you go through long stretches where anyone paying any attention to you and you're sort of withering in silence, then you your creative juices just dry up and you, you can't be creative anymore. So I totally get it because yeah. we crave those little oasis of validation that 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 means so much to us. So a kind word, give it to give it to the writers for fuck's sake. And he gets it in that moment. They're not getting paid enough. He's He's got tears in his eyes and he's going, Rick fucking Dalton, man. Rick fucking, you've still got it, man. You've still got it. I really related to it. I really related to it. Rick fucking Dalton. By the way, Will, great job on the last episode. You did a really good edit. I, I really enjoyed it. I never tell you this on Mike, but I just wanted to say um, you're getting better. You're you're getting up to my standards, so well done. Wow! Don't get ahead of yourself. You've still got a long <laughs> way to go, but you're getting better. Um, you know there was one that I had a bit of crack with that I'd forgotten about, but once I saw it, I went. It's actually quite funny. Was a uh, uh, movie within a movie from U UHF the Weird Al Yankovic oh, I've never film. Seen this. There was a, I've never seen it's, that. It's one of those films that I had on tape in the 1980s. And there's a trailer for a fake film in there that was, fuck, it's so funny. It's a trailer for Gandhi 2. Next week on U62. He's back. And this time, he's mad. Gandhi 2. No more Mr. Passive Resistance. 
He's out to kick some butt. This is one bad mother you don't want to mess with. Don't move, slime ball. He's a one-man wrecking crew. But he also knows how to party. Give me a stick. Medium rare. There is only one law. His law. Gandhi 2. But he's basically an Arnold Schwarzenegger killing machine. And it's fucking hilarious. It is. And he's driving around a Ferrari. And he's dressed, still dressed in the ropes. And he's... That sounds like a spoof scene. It's, spoof. it's so funny. And I genuinely thought, I was like, oh, I could just keep watching this for at least half an hour. You know? Um, I need to see this. It's fun. You reminded me of Hamlet from Last Action Hero. Yes. Hey, Claudius. You killed my father. Big mistake. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And Hamlet is taking out the trash. I'd only ever seen Last Section Hero once. Is it very good? I've watched I've is only it? watched it once, right? This is when it first came out. I've seen it probably um one and a half times. And you know what? It's worth a watch. What? It's worth a watch. There's enough good ideas. John McTiernan. In there. Yeah. Uh, great score. And you could, you could feel there's like a, a dozen writers also there. There's a dozen different, you know, the ideas being pulled, like, you know, in many different Wasn't directions. William Goldman one of them? And Carrie Fisher was in there. Um, Shane, Shane Black. Black. Uh, Zach Penn, one of the original guys. So mostly good writers. All good writers, yeah. Um, but mostly. There's a, to hear that, to a point you said earlier on, is there is the fake film a film you'd want to watch? And the film that opens up the film is Jack Slater 3. Not Jack Slater 4, but Jack Slater 3 opens the movie. watching a prime John McTiernan film it looks like Die Hard but it sounds like Die Hard because it's the same composer Michael Kamen yeah Michael Kamen and it's got Tina Turner as like uh, it's or the mayor she's the mayor yeah, or the chief of police <laughs> something like that yeah. Jack I know as mayor of this great metropolis you and I've had our little tits but this is the lieutenant governor later here's what I call the governor gets you call me and it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger prime Schwarzenegger and I and him you know, marching across the cop cars to take out the bad guy. I just went, I'd love to see another prime Schwarzenegger action movie. I just love, I I also, this is an an odd thing to to, um, mention, but I love his costume in that movie. The sort of the tan leather jacket, the red t-shirt and the jeans. It just feels very toyetic. It's like, that's a great image. Toyetic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do not let him in. Repeat, do not let him in! Piece of cake. Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. Do you have another one, Kevin? Um, I'm kind of out when it comes to fake movies with our movies. 
They're not coming to me right now. I don't, probably because I don't have any affinity for the fake films. Okay. Other than, other than great fake trailers of movies. Yeah. Like in Tropic Thunder, all the fake trailers that they had. Or, do you remember actually, do you remember when Grindhouse came out? I do. The Tarantino and Rodriguez double feature. Yeah. And they did fake trailers in between them. Edgar Wright did one called Don't. Mm-hmm. Then um, there was Hobo with a Shotgun. There was Eli Roth did one called Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, did, and I think there was one. Machete. One. Machete, which actually became a film. Yeah. And Hobo with a Shotgun became a film. Two of them became feature films. It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rooker Horror. And, and uh, it's so- who directed that again? His name has gone around my head. Oh, I don't remember the director's name at all. So some of those well, let's not let's not include this in the episode, uh, and because it's very disrespectful to directors not to remember their yeah. name. <laughs> but the fake trailers, like also you're talking about those fake trailers, the fake trailers from Tropic Thunder, are actually were actually wonderful. Yeah, Simple Jack. I ain't got a good g- good brain. I think you've got a fine brain, Jack. You make me happy. Never go full R word. <laughs> Jack Black's farting family, which is obviously a parody on. <laughs> that's it. It's brilliant. Will there be you? Anything else? Oh yes, my dear man. More beans. Grammy ill. This summer, America's favorite obese family is back. You're just mad because I'm skinny. I'm not. Jeff Portnoy. Jeff Portnoy. Jeff Portnoy. And Jeff Portnoy are The Fatties Part 2. In some countries, it's considered a compliment. Letting loose this summer. Can't touch this. Fat jokes are funny. The, the the Ben Stiller action franchise, which is something akin to the Jack Slater act, last action hero, he was he was called Scorcher. In 2013, when the Earth's rotation came to a halt, the world called on the one man who could make a difference. When it happened again, the world called on him once more, and no one saw it coming three more times. Now, the one man who made a difference five times before is about to make a difference again. Only this time... It's different. Who left the fridge open? Tug Speedman. Scorcher 6. Global Meltdown. Here we go again. Again. Will, all of the the end credits that we mentioned in post-credits to 21 and 22 oh, Jump Street. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're fantastic. I think it was 22 Jump Street where they had all those fake trailers for the future potential sequels. 
But 22 was the sequel to 21 Jump Street. Yeah. So I was just mentioning it. Oh, I, but, well, you're right. I think it was in 22 they had all of those trailers. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You got to be careful with the listeners, Will, because film podcast listeners are awful fucking pedants. <laughs> so you got to get it right. <laughs> hey, what about Angels with Filthy Souls from Home Alone? Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you, snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of 10... To get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. Yeah? I thought that was a real movie for a long, long time. So did I. And they went and shot, they went and got the same actors and shot a sequel to it, Angel, with even filthier souls for the Home Alone 2. <laughs> yeah, it, it, sold me on it being a real movie it works it's fun um what's the lines from it keep the change you filthy animal mom one from our summer show our previous summer show living in oblivion the fake movie that's in that living in oblivion yes very very good a great movie and that's a great podcast available now (laughs) on all good podcast apps and you're reminding me that i my very first short film that i did in college was uh, a movie within a movie. Ah. It was called The Making of Scared Stiff. Scared Stiff was this uh, slasher horror film and I was doing a bit of a mock doc on the making of it. And uh, it's not available anywhere, but it's uh, a fantastic film and you're just going to have to take my word on it. <laughs> it's available on all major streaming services, Kevin? Is it? No, it's in a it's in a library. It's in a vault. The, um, the Lehan <laughs> the vault. Lehan vault. You're going to release it in forty years time. <laughs> it goes like this. One year, <laughs> one night only on Halloween night. And maybe I'm just having a reaction to that because a, a very juvenile sort of idea. It was something that I knew I could make fun of. You know, the irrational director, the pomposity of the of the behind the scenes people the overly nebbish writer that just wants to get their ideas out there. The characters are so larger than life that it's easy to create gags about them. And maybe it's just because of that that I feel like it's low-hanging fruit. It's it's almost too easy to make fun of actors and filmmakers yeah. trying to make something and things going wrong because it's organized chaos. And it's very easy to uh, have the wheels come off, uh, as the old saying goes. Which is exactly what happens comes to filmmaking. in Living in Oblivion. And the scene, when I briefly, when I said, okay, if I had to pick a favorite scene from Living in Oblivion, it was the scene early on when they are trying to get a take or a performance in the black and white oh, section. Oh, it's tragic. It's tragic. And they can't, the director just can't get the actors. It, it's, things are just, you know, falling out of sync, you know, sound is, there's someone making noise in the background. And finally, Catherine Keener opens up and finally the other actress opens up and they have this amazing take. And it's like, it's it and everyone. Purely authentic and, and genuine emotion is coming. And everybody is watching with an odd hush. And the, the DOP has dipped out. And so there's no film in the camera. Yeah. There's nobody recording it. You were so worried about Danny, Ma. What about me? You know, why weren't you worried about me? Where the fuck is Wolf? 
One second. Okay, listen up. Nobody drink the milk. It appears to be bad. Did you know that John Landis has a fake movie which appears in all of his movies, whether it be a poster or whether it be on the screen in all of his films? Isn't it See You Next Wednesday? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. He had it from I wonder why he I wonder why he didn't go with See You Next Tuesday. Well, you know why See You Next Next Wednesday? It's because it was the title of the first script he wrote when he was a teenager. And oh, so See You Next Tuesday stands for cunt. Yes, Kevin. That's the reason. <laughs> and See You Next Wednesday is a line in 2001. So that's where it comes from. So then, and he took, I don't know why he, what the script right, is about. Yeah, that's right. It's when the apes are like, <laughs> they're kind of going, arguing. And they go, well, I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs> Give me that banana. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was more like, I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs> Um, um, yeah. but it keeps it keeps changing from film to film like you know in one movie it's a it's a horror movie in another, in another film it's you know it's portrayed as a sci-fi movie and whatnot <laughs> so that's his fake movie within a movie I'm going to jump the gun again there because John Landis also has fourth wall breaks in trading places mm-hmm. but before we get to tra- uh, fourth wall breaks there's oh God, this regimented structure. only two because I want us to because I want us to <laughs> properly discuss Fort Wall breaks, right? There's just two I want to bring up, okay? Um one that was just hilarious and I fucking love it was Asses of Fire as the film. <laughs> From South Park. Bigger, longer, and uncut. Fucking brilliant. The movie starting. What did the Spanish priest say to the Iranian gynecologist? I don't know, Philip. What? <laughs> Where do they come up with this stuff? You're such a pig fucker, Philip. <gasps> what did he say? Terence, why would you call me a pig fucker? Well, let's see. First of all, you fuck pigs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, fuck my ass and call me a bitch. <laughs> oh, you shit-faced cockmaster. Wow. Shit-faced cockmaster. Listen, you donkey-raping shit-eater. Donkey-raping shit-eater. Don't be baby. She did it. I generally watch Asses of Fire. It came up in Best Musical Number. Yeah. So Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, because that's one of my favorite musicals. Oh, yeah. It's a great film. Fuck, I was almost throwing up with laughter watching that in 1999. And all those, when the, the, the film is playing, the audience is, the, the cinema is packed. And as, as, a, as, they, as the filth and vile comes out of Terence and Philip's mouth and they just start doing a farting song amongst themselves the audience just disappears disgusted and those kids and the kids are enraptured it's like <laughs> just know that this is this is a life changing moment for them brilliant absolutely brilliant well what do you expect they're Canadian My favorite pick for a movie within a movie is a film. Oh, fuck, what's my pick? You have to come up with it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, as you think, I'm going to bring this up. It's from one of the best films ever right. made. It's the film is The Dueling Cavalier, and it is from Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain, just singing in the rain. It's the microphone moment, it's isn't the, it? It's the, well, it's the terrible audio. It's the pr- preview yeah. of the film of The Dueling Cavalier where they used sound for the first time (laughs) 
that? A thunderstorm outside? It's those pearls, Mr. Simpson. What is the matter, Miss? I'm so downhearted, Teresa. My father has me betrothed to the Baron de Lansfield, and I can't stand him. <laughs> and I really related to it uh, now that we are working with the, the medium of audio and how it's not until after the fact. Why, Will? This is a really well-edited episode. The audio sounds fantastic. There's no moments where you can hear me starting to interrupt you and then stopping. And you can't hear me breathing me while you're talking. Moving the mic. It's like, there's none of, it's nothing like bang, bang, bad audio, Will. Why it works is that it's, you see the, the filmmaking fall completely flat as the experiment with this new technology and the film which is the Julian Cavalier is like this period a romantic drama comes across with this awful audio as a hoot as a spoof and unintentionally so and people are yeah. in stitches laughing at us and to watch the filmmakers cringe and Gene Kelly cringe and standing out in the lobby trying to cover his face as the audience is leaving I felt I felt his shame I felt his I could relate to it I could you could relate so that's my pick for best movie with a movie Kevin oh I love I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Did somebody get paid for writing that dialogue? Do you have a pick? My pick is a really good segue into breaking the fourth wall. Oh, good. I was looking for one of these. It is the opening to Austin Powers in Goldmember. Ah, very good. Where Tom Cruise yeah. stars as Austin Powers, yes, and Danny DeVito as uh, uh, as Mini Me, and um, he who shall not be named as Doctor Evil, and Gwyneth Paltrow as Dixie Normus. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Dixie. Dixie Normus. And then, of course, um, it breaks the fourth wall in that they call cut. And who's directing that movie within a movie? But Senor Spielberg. So, Austin, what do you think of the opening credits? Well, I can't believe Sir Steven Spielberg, the grooviest filmmaker in the history of cinema, is making a movie about my life. Very shagadelic, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I do have some thoughts. They do a cut back to Spielberg where he's... <laughs> He's basically saying, I know what I'm doing. Really? Uh, my friend here thinks it's fine the way it is. And while he's saying that, he's holding two Academy Awards in each hand. <laughs> I just love those gags. Well, no offense to Stevie, but you gotta have mojo, baby. Yeah! Hit it! I remember seeing that in the Gate Cinema on Cork, and it's probably the funniest moment in the whole movie, but it really delivered like you're you're going back to see an Austin Powers movie and you're just hoping for those big gags and that is a fantastic opening to uh, that film and it's you know straddles both lines between being a movie within a movie and also 
breaking the fourth wall because it just keeps building and building and it has elements of like blazing saddles where they're running from sound stage to sound stage and mm. Britney Spears pops up like, which was mentioned in best robot scene oh yeah that's right <laughs> this episode is almost a clip show I did it again baby yeah So for those of you listening who don't know what breaking the fourth wall means, it's it's a, it comes from the stage where the actors on stage stop talking to each other and directly address the audience. And they're talking through that imaginary fourth wall. Oh, that's breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, this is breaking the fourth wall. Oh, okay. I thought you were giving a definition of what the fourth wall is. Oh well, the fourth wall is that imaginary like space between yeah the the, the audience and the and the stage. It's literally and, what it says. It's it's an invisible wall that the actors and performers can't see, but we can see through. Mm. And it's you know it's when the and in cinema it happens when the actors turn to camera and they address the audience or they are looking straight down the lens and um, that's kind of what the breaking the fourth wall is. But you can kind of stretch that definition as well. Yes, I have a question for you. Mm. Why don't we think of narration as breaking the fourth wall? Because it's an it's a voice of God that's coming from outside the internal audio of the movie. It's like music when music is playing to sort of um, enhance the the mood. But when you have a narrator, how come that is not sort of breaking the fourth wall? But if that narrator narrator is seen on screen, it is. Because the breaking happens when we when we are seeing a performer on screen invested in the space of the drama. And it's when they stop engaging with the drama that's happening and actually look out at the audience, that's the breaking of the fourth wall. A narrator is already si- situated outside of the drama. It's, it's kind of like halfway between the drama that's on the stage and the audience. It's kind of addressing us and, and overseeing, giving an overview of the drama that's actually happening. Um, but I think that's... There's interesting right. connections that we can tease out. It's so audacious in Goodfellas when Ray Liotta gets up off the stand and just swaggers through the courthouse without any fucks given to basically let us in on his thinking. Anything I wanted was a phone call away. Free cars, the keys to a dozen hideout flats all over the city. I'd bet 20, 30 grand over a weekend. And then I'd either blow the winnings in a week or go to the Sharks to pay back the bookies. Didn't matter. Didn't mean anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops. We paid off lawyers. We paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. I'll tell you, Rachel, one of the other things that I've done, aside from doing a movie with a movie is, as a short film, is I adapted Neil Gaiman for um, an anthology series. I did. I took his short stories and I chose a few of them to adapt into half-hour episodes that were on Sky a few years ago. Yeah. And it was directed by Ian and Jane. Uh, they did that Nick Cave documentary, 20,000 Days on Earth. And they decided that they wanted to make the anthology series more than just the text that I was adapting, telling these short stories. Okay. Like uh, one was about um, a sexually transmitted disease that a guy picked up without having sex. And it was overtaking him and he was becoming sort of um, consumed by it. And it was like a doppelganger story. The other one was called Feeders and Eaters. And it was about a guy that moves into a, a bedsit and there's an elderly lady in there who is consuming the flesh 
of animals and she's basically a witch it, it seems like and they were they were that kind of thing the third one was about uh, a guy retelling a ghost story about what happened to a, a kid and it felt like it was an analogy for sexual abuse to happen to children they're very dark they're very brooding but they wanted to play with the idea of storytelling so the first one had narration and then the second one had pieces to camera so i had it was really difficult for me to wrap my head around i was adapting neil gaiman who was also appearing in the show in pieces to camera as sort of like an interview subject. And the mm. character that was telling the story was a waitress who met an old friend of hers in a cafe. And um, he was going to tell her a story that would flash back to him being in a bedsit with a switch. But she mm. was also, the cafeteria waitress was going to speak to camera. So it was like a, a story within a story within a story. And I couldn't right. make sense of like, why do I have the waitress now stopping in the middle of the scene to talk to the camera? And what is she saying to the audience? Like, what am I supposed to have her convey? And they just love the idea of it. And I was like, I don't understand why this is necessary, but you have to make it work. And it did mm -hmm. work. It's a fantastic series. And, uh, <laughs> but they're very tricky right. to write because they're like one side, the telephone calls where you don't hear the other person. You're talking to an audience that can't respond to you. So as a screenwriter, yeah. we usually write conversations. And when you have a, a one-sided conversation, they're very tricky to write because it becomes quite sort of um, like a, a soliloquy. It's quite stagey and, and false, artificial. They can help. They can help set tone, but they can also trip you up. They can also be very distracting. I think you'd believe me if I told you. Deep breath now. Oh. Neil Gaiman's likely stories. I don't feel like myself, Doctor. You killed him. Four twisted tales from a great British writer. I knew what he wanted. I could see it in his eyes. It's a true story. Take a look inside. What are some of your favourites then? Some of my favourites. I love those ones talking to camera. So I love the high fidelity one. Absolutely adore. John Cusack just ranting at the camera, listing his top five, top five anythings. And I think lists are good. Yeah, he's a very charismatic, he's a charismatic character, so it works. Because if you think about it, it's a very clever idea. He's doing lists. He's doing top five this. Yeah. Because inherently, once you say top five anything, there's a, a wonderful tension and expectation already established. Which brings us to number one on the top five all-time breakup list. Alison Ashmore. <laughs> One moment they weren't there. Not in any form that interested us anyway. And then the next, you couldn't miss them. They were everywhere. And they'd grown breasts. And we wanted... Actually, we didn't even know what we wanted. Do you know what, Will? Our most popular episodes when it comes to listener engagement are the ones where we do lists. That's breaking oh the fourth God. wall for you. <laughs> we do. Okay, so top five breaking the fourth wall moments. Number five for you is high fidelity. <laughs> okay, Christ, I need to reorganize. Okay, we'll say number five for me. High fidelity has to be there. Um, what's number five for you, Kevin? <laughs> um, I'm probably going to say the Great Dictator, which came up in monologues when Charlie Chaplin. Oh, that's great. Uh, speaks to camera, and it is almost a very different movie in itself to what has come before. It changes tone drastically. Mm. And 
it comes up in monologues. So check out that episode. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. Number four for you. Number four for me is going to be from Wayne's World, right? Again, another example (laughs) where we have a main character taking us on this journey and it's fucking Wayne is narrating, setting up his world and he's so happy and comfortable in this perfect world that he's set up for himself in Aurora, Illinois. And you go, he whisks you along into Wayne's world. It's charming. Let me bring you up to speed. My name is Wayne Campbell. I live in Aurora, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Excellent. I've had plenty of Joe jobs. Nothing I'd call a career. Let me put it this way. I have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets. Don't they do a choose your own ending at the end? Where they say, this is what yes. the alternate ending could be. Yeah. Which you prefer. So brilliant. Yeah. You can, at the end, you decide which ending you choose. And it's so breaking the fourth wall. It's so wonderful and lovable. What's your number four, Kevin? My number four is going to be Gremlins 2. When Hulk Hogan. The Hulk. Very good. Yeah. The the projector rips apart and Hulk Hogan stands up and he starts screaming at the the, the gremlins who are up in the projection booth causing havoc. And um, yeah, it was uh, a moment that is indelible to me because uh, I saw it in the cinema as a kid. And Very good. It is. It's very good. Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too, right now. Sorry, folks. It won't happen again. My number We just completely three. winged it and just immediately we're making it up. We're making it up as we go along. I have about <laughs> I, don't know. I have about 15 films here, so I'm like So do I. <laughs> so do I. Uh, <laughs> hey, but listen, I think it's a good way to do it because uh we gotta get that listening game chat about these films. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love another break in the fourth wall is from Monty Python's Holy Grail. Yeah. And it's the, and they break, like, throughout wall breaking happens a, a, a lot across comedy and spoofs. And, uh, you know, th- like the Marx Brothers used it, Laurel and Hardy used it loads for early on. Uh, the Zuckerberg Brothers used it loads. Uh, Mel Brooks used it an absolute shit ton. But the Monty Python, the end of Holy Grail, where King Arthur and his trusty knights are about to charge on a castle. <laughs> but as they charge towards the castle, the police drive in 
Oh yes, <laughs> break it up. I thought you were going to say a different to arrest one. Them. Yeah, they start packing them. There's down. so many. Yeah. <laughs> they arrest everyone. <laughs> and there's a there's a, a a wife. I can't remember. She was she was earlier on. She goes, yes, yes, that's him. I thought you were going to mention when they're being chased by the animated monster and uh, there's no hope for them until the animator himself has a heart attack yes. at the drawing yeah. desk and he can't complete the the drawing. Yeah, very clever, very anarchic. Again, that's a carefree abandon that is contagious when you know that the filmmakers are having fun and it's not that serious. It is like a joy to behold. And it's in the DNA of that show from the very beginning. And, and the films he went on to make is that they just did not care about the fourth wall. It was just, they would put the credits in the middle of the show and uh, <laughs> go on with a continued fictitious ads and stuff like that. And oh, it was such a fantastic, fantastic series. What about you? What about your number three? We're going with this impromptu list thing, Kevin. All right, my number three is Annie Hall. And it's when Woody Allen is in the queue and he is having an argument with one of these uh, obnoxious patrons. And it's about the philosopher Marshall McLuhan. And Woody Allen just pulls a magic trick, which is he pulls on the actual philosopher himself that is somehow standing behind the potted plant to basically get him to refute and rebuke everything that the guy is saying. And Woody Allen looks at the camera and goes, wouldn't you just love if this was like real life? In the middle of an argument, you can just go like, hang on, you're wrong. And here's the person that you're talking about to actually confirm that you're wrong. Yeah, so that. And that film has loads of talking directly to camera. Even the very beginning, it opens with him addressing the camera directly. Yeah. Um, loads of breaking the fourth it, wall. It still feels so modern, that film. Yeah, I haven't watched it in years now. Well, take I, my word for it. Oh, no, I do love it. I've watched, I've watched that film loads. Yeah, now, Marshall McLuhan deals with it in terms of it being a, a high... A high intensity, you understand? A hot medium. What I want to give for a large sock as with horse manure in it. What do you do when you get stuck or on a movie line with a guy like this behind you? Wait a minute, why can't just, I give my opinion? Is this a free country? He, he can give you. Do you have yeah. to give it so loud? I mean, aren't you ashamed to pontificate like that? And, and the funny part of it is, Marshall McLuhan, you don't know anything about Marshall McLuhan's oh, really? work. Really? Really? I happen to teach a class at Columbia called TV, Media, and Culture. So I think that my insights into Mr. McLuhan will have a great deal of validity. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, that's funny because I happen to have Mr. McLuhan right here. So, so yeah, just let me, let me, let me, come over here a second. Oh, tell I heard, him. I heard what you were saying. You, you know nothing of my work. You mean my whole fallacy is wrong. How you ever got to teach a course in anything is totally amazing. Boy, if life were only like this. I, I really don't like in the middle of a film when in a comedy when they do look directly to the camera and kind of like nod and raise their eyebrows and wink. Like in tracks, when the mayor looks the camera. Yeah. 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 I, those, those aren't funny. Even they do it in Airplane. An Airplane, a great Sucker Brothers comedy. Ain't that a pisser? And, and yeah, and they look the camera. And for me, I'm like going, all right. Oh, it's a cheat. Okay, it's, a, yeah, it's, I know. it's an easy gag. Um, even in uh, Goodwill Hunting 2, you know, the fake movie that- Fucking hell for a second. Though, I thought they made a second one. Yeah, well, Goodwill Hunting 2, hunting season, where they brought back Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Gus Van Sant, and they break the fort wall. Where are we taking it from, Gus? Gus? I'm busy. 
You're a true artist, Gus. Just take it from it's a good course. What, you're the director now? Hey, shove it, bounce boy. Let's remember who talked to and into doing this in the first place. I mean, talking me into dogma is one thing. Oh, look, you know, I'm sorry I dragged you away from whatever gay serial killers who ride horses and like to play golf touchy-feely picture you're gonna do this with. I take it you haven't seen Forces of Nature. You're like a child. What do I keep telling you? You gotta do the safe picture, then you do the art picture. And then sometimes you gotta do the payback picture because your friend says you owe it. And they just like stop and look directly to the camera as in implying that, you know, they're doing this cameo as their favorite Kevin Smith. And it takes you to the movie. It's not funny. But when it does work, like in Scream 3, like in Scream 3, <laughs> your favorite franchise. I feel it does work at the very, very end of a film. And I've got two examples where the characters address the camera directly at the very end of a film. And, they, and, and we haven't broken the fourth wall at all up to that point. One might appeal to you, Kevin. Oh, yeah. And it's from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where the entire cast of the original series on their final feature film all gather in one wide shot and the very closing shot, they look directly down the lens and they smile. I think Sulu's not, it's on the bridge. They pull back to this lovely wide shot and I think Sulu is already captaining his own ship so he's, there's no reason for him to be on the You're bridge. Right. Yeah, he's in the Excelsior. But I remember that it wasn't jarring. It actually felt quite sweet and a lovely send-off. Captain's log, stardate 9529.1. This is the final cruise of the Starship Enterprise under my command. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. To them and their posterity will we commit our future. They will continue the voyages we have begun and journey to all the undiscovered countries, boldly going where no man, where no one, has gone before. I do love in movies when they do like the end of Predator or the end of Scream where you get to the cast in happier moments of the film and they're, they're, mm. they're sort of giving them little hero moments. Or the Farrelly brothers do it a lot where yeah. they will have all the crew during the making of the film, like funny pictures behind the scenes and um, laughing and japes and stuff. I love that. But what I loved at the end of that Star Trek movie was that all the cast literally signed off and you get to see their signatures and it's such yeah. a beautiful little touch, I think. Yeah. It really closed the chapter for the original cast. Yeah. And I, I was so glad they got that farewell. And it was acknowledged. This is this is their goodbye. And I, I felt it. I was moved by that. Very, very moved by that. Not very, very moved, but slightly moved by it. But there's another one from the horror franchise, and this will be in my number whatever. Okay, but don't mm, I get I don't it, know. say, on my number two? But I that wasn't my pick. That was my oh, pick. My God. point was, I didn't... What did you say? You're not going to waffle? I know I'm waffling. The very end of Psycho is a great break of the fourth wall. Oh, yeah. I don't like that epilogue. But what I do like... The shot is great. The shot itself of him trapped in his own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And we hear those voices, the voices that's going on in the head. He wouldn't even hurt a fly. And then that chilling shot of him looking directly to the camera and smiling. And And you know, she's still there. She's still there. And Trouble's Afoot, I think, is really good. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. 
I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know and they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Hey, Kevin, what's your next pick? I'll take two from the top and three from anywhere else. <laughs> That's me now as well. I'm holding on to my favorite one and I'm just going to randomly throw things. Um, I want to bring up two films, right, that I think are being quite meta about playing with the fourth wall. Right. And I mentioned to you about narration. And I worked as an intern at the company that made this film and I got to read the different drafts. And Ooh. the writer of that... Zach Helm, I thought was a bit of a genius. And he wrote Mr. McGorium's Wonder Emporium, but the one that he wrote before that was Stranger Than Fiction. Oh, yeah. This is a story about a man named Harold Crick. Harold lived a life of solitude. He would walk home alone. He would eat alone. When others' minds would fantasize about their upcoming day... Hello? Just counted brush strokes. All right, who just said Harold just counted brush strokes? Dave, I'm being followed. How are you being followed? You're not moving. It's by a woman's voice. She's narrating. Oh. Harold couldn't concentrate on his work. I can't think while you're talking. You have a voice speaking to you. About me, accurately, and with a better vocabulary. Harold found himself exasperated. Shut up! Cursing the heavens in futility. No, I'm not. I'm cursing you, you stupid voice. So shut up and leave me alone. Do you remember the film? Yeah. With uh, Will... Farrell. Farrell. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And... um, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. And... um, Emma Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for (laughs) that. I've got him holding him by the hand. Fucking hell. <laughs> That's one of my favorite films, if you can believe it. No, um, mm. I thought that was a very brilliant stroke to have a character aware of his creator and he could hear the voice of God, mm. which was Emma Thompson's character. She was narrating his life. Uh, it, was, it was a master stroke. Brilliant film. Brilliant. It reminded me of the Truman Show in that regard. Yeah. But I loved that it was playing with the ideas of creation and a character being aware of that and their, their their lives almost being predestined it's not my pick though and this next one is not my pick either and I, I'll just glance at it go on Wes Craven's New Nightmare market common market I'm doing a film about my nightmares as I'm dreaming them in order for the movie to continue it, it was dependent on me having more nightmares well fortunately I did I'm a little frightened by what Wes may have tapped into. I frankly felt that it was over when we did the last, the final nightmare. In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go over budget, something far more evil is out of control. When Wes Craven took the franchise of, of... Nightmare on Elm Street and he made it about making a new film but the film being cursed by the, the legacy of the other films and this idea of another dark force energy latching onto the creature or mm. the, the villain of Freddy Krueger 
very clever way to deal with fourth wall breaking. It's because Wes Craven appears in the movie as himself. Yeah. And he's directing himself as a character playing himself. I mean, that's a bit of a mindfuck. It really is. It really is. It is. I, you know, it's I've a very good s- film, Will. I haven't watched it. I've I know you it. haven't. You never watch anything that I recommend. I do. I've been watching away. Everything. I'm, I'm through all the screams. I'm on Scream 8. You're ahead of us then. Tell us what happens. <gasps> oh, they get all screamy. Does Nev Campbell get her paycheck? Oh, this is when they lose the scream. They can't scream anymore. They just have ice cream. Yeah. Okay. Spaceballs. Yes. In Spaceballs, when Dark Helmet is trying to figure out what to do next. Mm. The story is run away from him and his henchman says, do you know what we can do? We can rent the movie Spaceballs and we can forward ahead and we can see how it ends. Pardon me, sir. I have an idea. Corporal, get me the video cassette of Spaceballs the movie. Yes, sir. Colonel Sanders, may I speak with you, please? Yes, sir. How can there be a cassette of Spaceballs the movie? We're still in the middle of making it. Oh, that's true, sir. But there's been a new breakthrough in home video marketing. There has? Yes. Instant cassettes. They're out in stores before the movie is finished. Nah. Here it is, sir. Spaceballs. Good work, Corporal. Punch it up. That's much too early. Prepare to fast forward. Preparing to fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forwarding, sir. Stop. They put it in. They're watching it on the screen. And it gets up to the moment where they're watching the film on the screen. And it's like a mirror within a mirror within a mirror. And it's like, what the hell is going on? It's genius. It's Very audacious. Funny. It's so fun. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. It's a bloody great, great... No, it's not a great film. It's a great scene. It is a great scene. And they're able to track down the good guys. It's a very, very fun film. And fun films don't need to be great. They just need to be fun. I have to say Fight Club as well. Fight Club is, you know, it's constantly breaking Isn't there the a scene in that where he shows a big dick to a, to a family watching a movie? Well, well, he's... It's a part of that montage where Tyler Durden's working in a cinema. A projectionist, yeah. And... And he talks about like, you know, oh, you can see the little cigarette burn in the corner of the screen when we're going to, when the reel is going to change. And that's clever. Yeah. You always see that in montages to movies when they're like doing highlight reels of like how cool cinema is. And you see Tyler Durden just tip the corner with yeah. a cigarette burn. It's yeah. great. It's a great breaking the fourth wall. And it really helps that narrative because you've got the unreliable narrator. It's Edward, Edward Norton's character who is leading us through the story. And it all kind of makes sense when the twist happens at the end. You go, we've been seeing the story through his point of view the entire time. And it works when you're trying to trick the audience. You look for it, you can see these little dots come into the upper right-hand corner of the screen. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. I love the fourth wall breaking in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think it's fantastic. Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career, and they never doubted it for a second. (laughs) 
How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? This is my ninth sick day this semester. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. If I go for 10, I'm probably gonna have to barf up a lung. So I better make this one count. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a dead lock, but uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. That's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I love waking up with Ferris that day. I love him just running through the uh, the process Comes up of in best post credit scene. Yeah, and the process through which you trick your parents to get a day off school, and the dilemma of him being on you know nine days off that semester. And I think Matthew Broderick's performance is great. He is a little shit. He's Ferris Bueller is an obnoxious in real life. Yeah, well, no, Ferris, no, Ferris Bueller, the character is an obnoxious little shit. I know if I met him in real life, I would hate him. He is the villain. He kind of feels like he is the fucking villain of the story. He's just going around life, laissez faire, fucking with the system and taking what he wants, not really caring about anyone else, just doing what he wants. Screw you all. But that was the great thing about 80s comedies is that they were anarchic and they were anti-establishment. And there was an awful lot of like, stick it to the man and fuck, you know, conservatism. And then the Judd Apatos came into the, they came onto the scene and it all became about, no, 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 don't do that. Settle down, get a job, be a responsible adult get married. You're nothing unless you are conservative. And I kind of miss the 80s anarchic spirit of fucking live your life. Have fun. Don't settle for less. I miss that. Save Ferris. Save, Save Ferris. Ferris. It's great. Fuck. It is Savitism. great. It is great. It is great. And, it's, and it employs the breaking of the fourth wall in the way that I love, which is that narrator using that character as your narrator, who's going to take you by the hand and you are going to go on a journey through world with him in Ferris's shoes. And you know what? I kind of would love a day off with Ferris Bueller. And uh, and I kind of get a chance to do that when I watch that film. I think it's a great little film. But it's not my pick, however. What's your pick? My pick is from a film we've already mentioned. It's Blazing Saddles. It's when the... Oh, Yes when the fight happens and they burst out onto the into the, the musical sound stage, numbers yeah. the sound stage and they're chasing the bad guy and they end up like a, Mel Brooks has used it several times but I think it's, he used it best in Blazing Saddles where the, action, the chase goes out into Hollywood and uh, the sheriff is on his horse uh, the, the bad guy is uh, ends up retreating to a a theater to watch the end of the movie, and it's it all ends up in the cinema. <laughs> and it's just it's just ridiculous and funny, and it's so fourth wall breaking. And you get away with it in a spoof. And I just I just it blew my mind when I saw it as a kid. It blew my mind. So that's kind of my pick. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special. Nowhere special. 
always wanted to go there. Come on. Great pick. My pick is Basil Exposition in Austin Powers and Goldmember. Oh, it's not, is it? Tells Mike Myers, um, don't you worry about it, about the, the paradoxes of time travel. And then he looks to the audience and he says, and that goes for you too. I love that. No, it's not. No, I thought I'd mention Basil Exposition <laughs> right, okay. because it's such a, it, it, it's a character that's written specifically to break the fourth wall. His name is Basil Exposition. Yeah. And exposition is just giving the audience the information that they need in order for the story to continue. There you go. No, my pick is actually one from a very controversial and dark film that is probably one of the bleakest films I've ever watched. And I chose it because it really takes this whole fucking with the audience and making the audience complicit to a a whole other level. And it's a Michael Haneke's Funny Games. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Whenever things start to go right for the protagonists who are being held hostage in their own house by these two violent psychopathic teenagers, would you call them? Mm-hmm. They take charge of the, the storytelling and they will pause the film and rewind it so that they'll get the upper hand. And it really feels like a massive fuck you to us mm-hmm. watching who have empathy for the the family. And it's so, um, it's so discombobulating and disturbing, but it really takes it to such an extreme. And it's so audacious to use that word again, that if you're going to go big, I mean, you can't go any bigger than that. And that's my pick. You know what? It was on my list. And it's a film that disturbed me. Absolutely disturbed me. That film proves some of the storytelling theories I have. Uh, One of which is when accidental, happy accidents happen for your your characters you care about. And in this case, the family. And those happy happy accidents are the way characters get out of situations. It takes an audience out of the scene. We go, oh, that's bullshit. But when- Didn't you say that before when you said coincidences can only happen for the heroes? Coincidences can, no, only happen for the the villains. Villains, sorry. And in this case- Opposite of what you said. This proves that. It proves that the the villains, without any rationale or explanation by the the, the filmmakers, take control of the film and can keep, keep pushing the characters into worse and worse situations. It's, we totally believe it. We are totally, because we are invested in the family. We care about them trying to get out of this awful situation, but the film won't let them. And my God, it is horrific. It just just increases our empathy for those characters and what they have to go through is punishing to watch. Uh, It's an incredible use of breaking the fourth wall. I think it's fantastic filmmaking, fantastic exploration of story. And uh, I think it's a great, great pick, Kevin. Very well done. Which do you prefer, the original or the remake? 
I think the original because it's, you know, it's just really fresh. But the remake is good as well. I think the remake is just a remake, like, you know. But I, I sort of remake before the original, so I had a very different reaction to it, which is that I missed the sort of the gloss and the sheen of the remake. Okay. Which I know is blasphemous, but, you know, Haneke made both of them, so I can say that. Mm. I'm, sure, I'm sure he has as much love for both. Yeah. Will we wrap up this episode, Kevin? It was jam-packed. That's what I will say. It was jam-packed and chaotic. It was jam-packed with custard. I felt I was breaking the fourth wall left, right and centre and the fourth wall is breaking me in this episode. Do you know what, Will? You have free reign, though, to leave in all the little off uh, asides and um, off mic moments because it's all part of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I'm looking at the list of all the films I didn't mention. Oh, Christ. I... She-Hulk. <laughs> She-Hulk. The Big Short. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. The, the, the Night the Reindeer Dies. Uh, Three uh-huh, Amigos. That's also a film. Yeah, that is, that's one. That's a film. Yeah, I have so many here. That Cut, I the Australian slasher movie that I'm sure millions of our listeners, because we do have millions of listeners, will know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Hey, but to sum up, Kevin, to sum it up, let's wrap it up. My favorite fourth wall breaks are when it's done. You already said it. Okay. I don't have to sum it up, Kevin. That's the end of this episode, Kevin. <laughs> Were you just going to sum up the whole thing again? I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> Kevin. I'm all over the shop. I'm really all over the shop. So I like it as narrators. Uh. I like it when we do it as narrators. I hate the winks to the camera. I hate it when, it, when, when we have the wink to the camera. I don't mind it at the very end of a film if it has a particular purpose, like it's a shock value or whatever it is. I love it when it's exploited in a creative way, like in funny games. I think that's incredibly creative. Um, when it's a main dynamic of the film, that's great. Uh, I'm just glad that we didn't talk about Lord of the Rings. I was going, I wasn't even going to bring it up. And there we are. Oh, oh, but we did get to talk about Scream. When, when Frodo looks at the camera here, here and we he go. goes, Sam Wise, will you will you take me or will, or will you come with me in the boat and we go off to Valhalla or wherever yeah, to bye. go? Yeah, bye. Do you know what I love? I love talking about Scream. I think Scream is the best film ever. Uh, scream, like Scream God, Scream Talk, Scream Three, Scream Five, Fuck. Scream Yeah, they're all great I'm done. All right, I'm hanging up. Best film ever. You'll have to guess what the it's next me, episode Kevin is. Yang. Fuck off. And I like Scream. <laughs> no, not vanilla ice Scream. Scream the film, you prick. Come on here, you're all cunts. I defy, I defy you to leave that in the episode. I bet you won't do it, you fucking coward. <laughs> I scream for ice cream. Why are you mocking our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> So that whenever you start going, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> I'm going to go scream. I hate this because you ever. finally found your fucking balls. <laughs> He's pushed into the corner. He's been just nipped at and nipped at so much. <laughs> Kevin. <Dead dolls. laughs> no, no. You know you want who's in friends. You Fuck know off. you want friends. She's in the Turn squ- off the mic. She's in the squeeze. I'm going to scream. This is insulting. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> fucking bastard. Spin the fucking wheel. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, I next. hope we get best fucking scream scene next. Oh, oh God.
<sighs> Go on. Spin the wheel. You're spinning the wheel. I'm spinning the wheel, right? Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've been on Mikey too long. Okay, right, here we go. It's fucking spinning already. Alright, it's spinning. And Kevin, you have got best slow mo scene. Well We need to wrap this episode up. Don't go in slow mo. We need to wrap this episode I'm up. We've been talking too long as it is. Oh God. Right folks, as Kevin's going slow. <laughs> thanks very much for listening. Uh like and share us and do what you need to do. Join us on Patreon. And like uh, and share us and do what you need to do. That's what everyone says at the end of every episode. Like all like, professional podcasts. Yeah. Come here if you want to come back and listen to the next one. There'll be another episode coming along. I don't know when that is, but it'll be out, you know, and you'll see it in your feed. Other than that, there's other podcasts out there. You can listen to them. Don't listen to other podcasts. Uh, we have other episodes. They're behind us. So if you look behind yeah. this episode, and there's, there's a, like a load of them. There's a heap of episodes on our Patreon, basically. If you want to, yeah. if you want us every week and you want some us, but, but every week. listen from episodes. Uh, eight onwards because we make an awful hames of it in the first eight we don't make an awful hames of it there's a lot of great stuff in the first eight so stop stop bashing on yeah. our first eight listen to all the odd episodes that's the trick do you hear this <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up wrap it up this? oh Jesus Christ right okay uh, good luck listeners thanks very much goodbye bye Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a Patreon member where you'll receive bonus shows where we talk about recent releases and what we're up to. And you'll receive access to our Discord chat room where we hang out with our listeners. Search the Best Bits Podcast on Patreon or click on the link in the show notes. Go home. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode. Of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bits podcast with Will and Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corn sorted out. I went to the Chiraptus the other day and uh, she Your said... corn? To, my corns. Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes, stuff like that. Do, um, you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk No, I, I, I wear... No, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a Mini Bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the Mini Bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. 
Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode. And then every so often, it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode. And yeah. I'm like, what did we, how did we say it? What did we say on that episode? It's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes. Maybe it didn't sound as desperate. Maybe we said, don't join. Maybe reverse psychology. That's how we should do it. Reverse psychology. Don't join up to our patron. Don't. <laughs> you don't des- Everybody you, cancel. You don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We, don't, we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people? We, we did, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I, how do you think I did? I, I I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across. But, you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with, did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They were, they were profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're, 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 you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those are my Prince Albert. <laughs> Your hat? <laughs> yeah. I Speaking of, of the, which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, 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 did, what did you want to speak of? Which? Start the time. Oh. I forgot. You may as well. Because the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after Yeah, we, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And I'm... Right. Um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. It doesn't really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So um, I'm Well, the Joker 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes. I watched that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah. It's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, like, hey, listen, uh, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh, yeah, that's going to be just to fill me in like on the lore get up to speed get you right up to speed (laughs) and you'll be there going where where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks where when are they going to show up 
And like, it's you know, a bit of a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which is its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like it's this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors. And there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh this is insane. the thing. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. Wait, was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to raise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people on Discord are trying to every, raise you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting now, like um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything. Insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. I was okay. like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's it's everywhere. And the other thing, do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly, whatever. They would just, they were morons. But no. I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word, A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, (laughs) but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. Because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I would found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. (laughs) Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know what? I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 